Salam and hello. Welcome to Uproot. My name is Lily Bickella Piper, and I am thrilled that you have tuned in to the very first episode. Uproot is a podcast that explores questions of identity, culture, and global living. My hope is that we can redefine what it means to be uprooted through stories of joy, resilience, and justice, all the while celebrating the roots that allow us to rise up. Over the course of history and in modern times, millions of people have experienced being uprooted for any number of reasons, conflict, war, economic ambition, political change, and yet some of us have had the incredibly good fortune and privilege to drive our own stories and be able to choose why we leave and where we go. I invited four friends who come from different places, have different experiences, and have lived very different lives to come and answer the same question. Why did they leave? We recorded this episode live on the eve of Jamhuri Day here in Nairobi at my favorite local cafe, Wasp and Sprout. It was a great night, and I am so glad that you have tuned in to hear it. Welcome to Uproot. My name is Maimuna Jallo, and I am half Gambian, half Spanish, and I've been in Nairobi for eight years. And my background is as a journalist. I worked as a radio producer for the BBC World Service, the African Services. And then I moved to NGO Communications with MSF, Doctors Without Borders. And now I work as a freelance communications consultant and as a performance storyteller. My name is Johnson Kimui. I'm here since 2014 but uh, born and bred in Nairobi, educated in Nairobi, moved to the US in 2000, worked as an auditor with uh, Deloitte until we moved to Mozambique in 2009 and now I'm back in uh, Kenya again 2014 and uh, next year we're planning to move back to the US. My name is Ruth Ashuka from Kenya. I advocate for the rights of children, and I'm also a member of Kenya Society of Care Leavers, a society by and for youth who spent all or part of their lives in a children's home or orphanage or call them care centers. Troy White, uh, originally from Philadelphia, came here from Harlem. I've uh, been here for four and a half years, and I'm the MD for Temple Management, which is Africa's largest uh, entertainment agency. It's kind of like Africa's version of William Morris or Live Nation. My background is in marketing and entertainment. I'm going to ask this question to all of you and let you decide who wants to take it up. But Wangari Mathai has a quote that I love. Um, she said about her political movement and the work she was doing that you have to keep at it until it becomes rooted. I want to hear from all of you. What did you have to do in your life to become rooted in these new situations. So Ruth, whether it was becoming to society, Maimuna, between different countries, Johnson, between the, you know, now dual homes probably, Troy, as a black person coming back and all that. What are some things that you had to do to really build some roots? I'm a firm believer that wherever you go, whether or not you're walking into a barn or whether or not you're walking into the president's home, you carry yourself the same way. When you treat the guy in the bathroom who's giving you a towel just like you're going to treat the president. And if you do that, it makes your transition a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're, you're, that's so interesting because what you're saying is not even that deep. It's like basic courtesy, kindness, mm-hmm. 
consistently. Don't come with that dumb American yeah. or European, yeah. like, oh, I'm better and I'm smarter than you yeah. and give yeah. me this. Yeah. You know, um, nah, no, mm. no, no. Is that because you think those acts led to what? What did being kind consistently lead to for you that actually looked like roots in the end? Um, many doors opening and people treating me and my family extremely well. Mm. Um, you know, we trust the people that work with us and um, it's made the experience a lot warmer and easier okay. and the transition a lot better. Okay. And then meeting people like you and your family and a lot of the other people in here helped just like God just set it up like mm -hmm. perfectly so it was a smooth landing. Yeah. When we Within six months, it felt like we had been here for three years. Yeah. <laughs> so what you're, what you're saying about attitude is so key. Right. You kind of started with that and you're coming back to right. now. It's all and I don't think you, you get in. those blessings yeah. if you, as soon as you get here, you're, yeah. oh, the traffic, yeah. oh, this, oh, the roads mm, right. oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. you know if you if you go about it that way yeah. then you're going to bring on negative energy to you sure. but if you're like yo this is great yeah you know so what we in traffic but we in traffic and the yeah. weather's the best in the world yeah. so yeah. True, true, true. <laughs> if only we could bottle that up and sell it that would be amazing. <laughs> Ruth I want to kind of ask you the same question what you had to be rooted because after you left your grandmother's house and you were put in an orphanage in Nairobi if I remember the details right, after about seven or so years, the government decided this orphanage needed to close, and so unannounced to the caregivers, they came and actually took you out and took you back to your grandmother's home, which you had not seen in over seven years. So you've had a lot to cope with. You're still so young. Tell us, what have you done to be able to be rooted in relationships and in society? Well, that's that's kind of hard question, but um, I'll try to answer it in in different forms. Uh, going back to my grandmother's place was the hardest thing for me because I could hardly speak in the local language, and for the first couple of weeks, she thought that was a sign of rudeness that she would speak to you and you're not able to respond. That's because in the home you were speaking a totally different language yeah. than where your family was from. Yes. Yeah. And so the only language I would communicate with is Swahili or English and my grandmother could not at all talk in English. And so, yeah, every time she would be, she wants to send me somewhere and I would look at her and I want to ask, what did you say? Mm. But then I can't because she will definitely not understand. Then I would just stand and stare at her. Wow. It was really hard because I remember her complaining to one of the neighbors who came and who understood both languages and she was like what is wrong with you and your other two sisters Philo and Helen and we're like we're not able to communicate with her and the fact that she's very aged and she can't do things for herself and she wants to count on you to support yeah. Yeah. that was really hard for us yeah. uh, it took us to talk to the neighbors and the children around and try to play with them a lot and listen to some of the words they use and try to just you know yeah. it's like a deep thought and yeah. some you're waking up to some you know you've yeah. been in a long sleep for years mm -hmm. and you now want to wake up and understand what exactly this means because you were still about uh, young right when you went back to your grandma's you were a late teenager 15 14? yes yeah. 14, or 14, 15. It's so interesting when you mentioned this, this idea of language. You know, it's another thing we take for granted that, you know, those of us who speak English can basically almost hop on a plane and almost go anywhere and not necessarily feel disconnected. We can engage, we can buy, we can, whatever it is that needs to be done, we can do. So can't imagine how you would need that to be rooted in a community that doesn't speak English. How else do you make that connection if you don't speak the same language? Yes, yeah, so uh, after some time, uh, we were fortunate to get connected with our mom. Uh, mm -hmm. It was 
divine let me say that uh and it was really hard up to now it is still hard uh, yeah. me and her don't get along like i don't understand her she doesn't understand me yeah. um and what i've tried to do is try as much as to accommodate yeah. because not everyone will understand exactly what you're battling with yeah. not everyone uh, at some point i remember when i was in the university she would complain to her sister that my daughter has don't even call me but then i will call her and will not even understand each other yeah. you know yeah. uh part of another thing that i've tried i said when i was starting that our first born and our last born never went with us to the orphanage right. so if today dorcas sits here next to me and we talk you think we are strangers i don't relate at all with her mm-hmm. i could go for six months without speaking to her yeah. because even when i call her we have nothing to talk about mm-hmm. but i talk to my sister phil and helen every day like every yeah. single day because we have connection so i am trying so much to learn yeah. and understand my our first born and our last born yeah. to just fit in that when in their shoes yeah. i've tried to visit my grandmother more often to just relate and i am also not able to relate with people of my age especially from the central part because i have zero knowledge of the culture and how a kikuyu woman should behave mm-hmm. you know i have zero knowledge i remember meeting a person who was asking me uh, if you want to marry a kikuyu lady so what is the process and i was zero about it mm-hmm. and people look at you and they're like but you're from central province so you yeah. need to understand yeah. so i'm trying every day is a learning process for me yeah. i try to talk to people as much as i can ask yeah. them what happens at what stage yeah. and how and yeah. why yeah. so i'm still trying to learn about my culture roots, yeah yeah but i love what some of what you've said which is also that family is also who we connect with who we share experience with it's not just being related by blood even though maybe other people don't share your experience i think many of us can probably relate to that family member who we talk to but the only thing that connects us is some kind of genetic tie and i think this room is full of people who have been uprooted from their homes or their families or whatever and who have made connections through experience by sharing an experience together and yeah yeah so let me add something uh me trying to understand my mother and and knowing what it feels to have a mom has been impacted by people like mother figures in my life who I want to give an example with Please. Kelly Bankers who's been very she's like a treasure to me I remember uh, like a month no yeah a month last month I was traveling to the Netherlands and when she learned about this she mentored me all through telling me what to expect until the last day she was like you need a winter coat you know it is really cold <laughs> please come i need to give you one and you know and i felt like for once someone is speaking like a mother and i felt like a daughter to someone you know and that to me spoke volumes yeah. that to me knew because she was like you can always count on me yeah. whether in the dutch land you yeah. can drop me a yeah. message and say like you know and yeah. so if i have these people who who you know a mother figure who shows me how to relate with you know yeah. because yeah, i'll tell you for free i'll sit with my uncles i don't know what exactly it is to feel like that you yeah. know yeah. and so yeah i am learning through that and people yeah. who are very warm to me and i know how to relate with a brother a sister yeah. well i think we'll have you back over and over again on this podcast and see how those roots are developing but i know you're saying you're still working on it but i think you're very well on your way and what you say also kind of rings true to what troy was saying about just this kindnesses allows us without us knowing sometimes what it means to somebody else on the other side of that kindness to offer a winter coat to offer just a you know just that kindness that it can mean so much Maimuna. Yeah, I just I mean. wanted to add something because you know what you've said about 
being, you know, having this other figure who has been such a mother in a sense to you and that you can connect with her even more than with your biological mother. You know, I think about it a lot because when I moved to the UK, I was 14. And from then onwards, I never lived with my dad again. Mm -hmm. Although, you know, we'd see each other once or twice a year. Um, <clears throat> or once every two years. And then my mother also, when I was 16, came, went back to Togo, and then we, you know, I stayed in the UK. And um, this year, my father passed away, and I went to Gambia. Um, and it was such a strange feeling, because I, I, I had been banned for Gambia for over 10 years, because at, when I was working as a journalist, I'd written an article about the president, which he didn't appreciate. So I hadn't been able to go back. So it was such an alien place to me, because I hadn't grown up yeah. there either. Um, and during the you know, funeral ceremony and everything, one part of me felt like, you know, these are my people, I am home. And yet I was such an alien there. Yeah. And I remember very clearly that after they had buried him, and, you know, in the Muslim way, you bury the same day, and then we were all in the family home, and we were all sitting down together, and suddenly everyone stood up, went outside, and my sister and I were left in the living room on our, on our own, and we looked out the window and everyone was praying. And we had no idea that this is what was going to happen then yeah. at that moment. Yeah. And it was such a feeling of alienation, yeah. and yet at the same time we needed to appreciate this culture that is yeah. part of us yeah. because, you know, it's in our blood, yes. even if we don't know how it works. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, the point you made about so many of us traveling a lot, here I say, you know, my family here are my friends. Yeah. You do develop very, very strong friendships, often with people who've also lived in different places because you have a lot in common, you know, these third culture kids, yes. and they become family. Absolutely. They really become Absolutely. family. Absolutely. It's who you, yeah, spend a holiday with, it's who you mourn with, it's who you cry with, and to that effect, Johnson, I want to ask you a little bit about this idea of leaving Kenya, coming back. Why was that important to you? I think the fact that... Uh, I'm Kenyan, my wife is American, and uh, I wanted them to have that experience. I know they're going to leave, they're U.S. citizens, so that one they'll never, they'll have that experience because that's where is our home. But being in Kenya, it's a new experience for them. I, I, it's not like they'll come and uh, live here. I don't know, they might decide to live in Kenya in the future, but I wanted them to have that experience. As long as we had that opportunity to come to Kenya and live here, go to, you know, they go there, they do their schooling here and experience the Kenyan life. That's what I wanted them to experience. At least when they're talking to their friends in a few years to come, they'll say, yeah, we've lived in Kenya, we know Kenya. And, you know, they can have a story about yeah. that yeah. because this is an opportunity that uh, not so many people get that chance. Yeah. Even President Obama didn't have that chance. Yeah. His father never took him to Kenya and lived yeah. here or, you know, to experience that, yeah. either to work or to school or to live even. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, that was the reason why I took that opportunity for them to come to Kenya and thanks to my wife for their posting here that now they can have that experience and say, we yeah. are Kenyans. We know how Kenyans live. Yeah. We know what, you know, yeah. at least they can say Hakuna Matata. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Oh my gosh. Have you seen that petition going around about Disney and Hakuna Matata? Anyways, thanks for that, Johnson. It, 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 you bring up something for me that um, it's true with when you have kids. I've seen on like my kids' Instagram pages. Sorry, kids. <laughs> that, you know, they'll put multiple flags under their name as their identity, Kenya, America, Ethiopia, which brings me great joy. But I also realize that when we go back, quote unquote, home to the US, it's hard for them. 
Um, so I just want to hear from all of you. I'm going to throw this out again to the panel, see who would like to pick it up. What has leaving cost you? Some of you have been able to choose to leave to pursue an opportunity. Others of you have, you know, didn't have as much choice either when you were younger or even now. But I want to know what did leaving cost you? Because I can see in my kids there is a cost, um, and it ties a little bit to that identity. But I'd love to hear from any of you about all that. Um, it's cost me a lot with my family and friends. Um, I have a huge family and uh, I love every one of them. And I have lots of friends. I was blessed to go to a great university, Howard University. Oh, I knew uh, that was gonna come H-U, you know I had to. You know, all right. H-U everywhere. Um, and I graduated in 1988, and I've, gone, I've only missed one year of homecoming. One wow. year since 1988, and that was this year. Um, so that's how tied I am with my people, my family, my friends. I was a season ticket holder for the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, so I miss yeah. my family and friends, and I miss the Eagles, but I don't miss anything else. Yeah. I really don't. Like, everything else here is I'm good with. Yeah. But my family and friends, you know, yeah. I miss them immensely. Um, and then... Can I go into the other thing? Sure. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> we can always edit it out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Say whatever you want. <laughs> um. I was going to say something, and I was like, no, Troy, don't say that. Um, so anyway, my, my wife got a promotion um, a year ago to a uh, beautiful promotion. She's really freaking smart. Yes, she is. Hey, uh, Naja. What up, girl? <laughs> um, so she had to move to London in order to run London, Middle East, and Africa. At the same, right before she got that opportunity, I got an unbelievable opportunity with a company to uh, run for three years. And um, so she and my kids live in London, and I commute and go back every couple months you for a couple from weeks. from Nairobi to London? Yeah. Only people who live in <laughs> But that hurts, you know. Hurts, I mean, FaceTime yeah. is really cool. Yeah. You know, I was a very hands-on father because mm -hmm. um, I always worked for my own company. So even back home in New York, I was able to go to all the plays and coach my son and do all yeah. the things that was needed to do um, as a father. And um, to not have that hands-on experience right now really freaking hurts, yeah. you know. But I feel like this is like back in the cave days and I'm going out for three years to search for like a Megadon or something, okay. you know, okay. and then hopefully I'll be bringing back a Megadon. Okay, we're going to have you the... back on the podcast too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And see what if I bring back a couple chickens, my All wife's right. going to kill me. Yeah. <laughs> Find the Megadon. I think it's on a podcast title. Thank you for that. Emily, you were nodding and commiserating yeah, with no, what you were I, saying. Yeah. What does it cost you? Yeah, I think it's true, you know, the distance from your family. My sister lives in the UK and, you know, has two beautiful daughters who I only see once a year if I'm lucky. Yeah. So not being able to see them grow up yeah. um, and for them not to know my kids very well, you know, that's, that's tough. Yeah. I actually remember, and sometimes you don't even have to be that far, when my grandmother in Spain turned 80, they did a huge party for her and they just forgot to tell us, my sister and I, and we were in England. You know, it wasn't that far, you know? But because the family there is so, so close. I mean, my family in Spain, every week, and every summer holiday well, and Christmas and stuff all live together in the same compound yeah. you know so 
they're, you know, they're very, yeah. very, very tight-knit. And when we're there, it's wonderful. But when we're not, it's as if we don't yeah, exist, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it, it's not that they're doing it in a bad way. It's just that they're used to us not being nearby, yeah. you know? And my mother, you know, she was the one who left. So you yeah. left, you made your choice, and therefore there are consequences to right, that, in a right. sense. And, yeah. you know, that can yeah. be quite quite painful. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's another side of the coin. You know, I think people look at the lives that we are fortunate enough to live and see it as quite glamorous and this and that and none of us for a minute should begrudge all that comes with it yet there's the relational part is it's it's hard and then family doesn't always understand why these friends are now your family and why they're also going to be at Christmas you know? yeah. <laughs> so yeah it's, 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 a, it's a two-sided coin for sure Johnson what does this cost you um when I let as Troy was saying you know Kenny's um I'll say it's A plus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Kenya gets an A plus from John. Should we ask everyone here what they would give Kenya? Should we go there? On the count of three. <laughs> On the count of three, everyone say it. No, just don't say just it. Don't say it. <laughs> so you can imagine now growing up here where I grew up in the neighborhood where everybody was Kenyan. You know, I went to work. The only time I met Muzungus were, you know, the tourists. Muzungus, by yeah, the way, for those exactly. of you listening in other so, countries <laughs> and our very global listenership, are is another word for foreigner, a non-Kenyan. Let's leave it at that. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. I get called Muzungu sometimes. So. Yeah, I do. I I'm do like, too. yo, I'm not no Muzungu. <laughs> so there was never even a moment where I ever thought myself being black. Hmm. I know it sounds strange, but... Because, you never had to think about being yeah, black. Yeah. I never thought about color yeah. until I stepped a foot in America. <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah. where the reality of the pavement paved in gold mm-hmm. and the color discrimination. And that's when I realized I am black. And there are certain things I can't do. Yeah. And there's a, I got a label. And that was the hardest part mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm leaving Kenya to go to America. Yeah. Coming from a culture where you fitted in, everything you did was normal, nobody looked at you differently. And then all of a sudden, I can't rent a house in certain neighborhood. I can't go to certain places. And I had to overcome those things. I get, I still get them up today in New York City. Yeah. I get people asking me, where are you going in, the, in, a, in a building? Yeah. Even if I'm going for a meeting or if I'm going to see somebody, they're like, you don't belong here. Which, to me, is something that I would never get here in Kenya. Yeah, absolutely. Right? That is an occasionally where I get to be told, are you the driver picking up my own kids at ISK? I was going to say, that does happen. That does happen. Can I tell a quick story? I have a friend who's similar to you, an Ethiopian guy married to a non-Ethiopian who happens to be non-black. And they went to a lodge in Kenya. When they wrote the receipt, they wrote one guest and one driver on the receipt. So Sally, it does happen here, but what you said is so significant, not having to think about that you're black or that you belong. Exactly, and you know, the thing is that uh, before I left Kenya, that would never bother me. Yeah. But now that I've been exposed to another culture where you realize that you can't, you know, there's discrimination, there's, a, you know, people being labeled, and that has, coming back now, it affects me more. Yeah, of course. And that was, that is part of the things that uh, I had to sacrifice and things that I have to go through. Now I've come back to Kenya, I feel like 
all my friends that I grew up with, they look at me differently because I'm living in a different neighborhood. I, you know, I drive a big car, and uh, you know, I'm married to a Muzungu, my beautiful <laughs> wife. And now they look at me and they're like, you don't belong. Yeah. So I kind of like, I'm in, a, in the middle where in America, I'm a black man. In Kenya, you're, you're a big now, man. You're a big man. Yeah. You know, you're not supposed to eat in a kiosk. You're not supposed to be doing certain things. Or the expectation is you can't give me 500 because you have money, you have to give me 1,000. Yeah. So now there's that yeah. burden that I have to carry because of me leaving Kenya yeah. and coming back. So yeah. both ways, yeah. I don't win. You don't win. But yeah. what I've learned to do is become strong and just look beyond that and say, you know what? I'm better than somebody who is labeling me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can always stomach people when they say, okay, you can give me 500, that's when I say, I'll take it back. And they take it. But it's the challenges that you get when you leave a country and you come back. Because yeah. now I'm no longer just a Kenyan. I'm a diaspora. Yeah. And that's going to be a whole nother show. And something, part of the reason it inspired me to want to do this podcast is this tension sometimes between the diaspora, those who have never left, who's responsible for the nation building, who gets a voice in nation building, who is causing the issues, you know, I'm Ethiopian, and so we've experienced this radical transformation in leadership in the last year, and there are all kinds of rebelings of what the role of the diaspora is in that, and I think that is something that I look forward to exploring. You'll have to come back. All of you are going to have to come back um, again. Ruth, I'm going to flip the question to you, um, and then after that, we're going to take some questions from the audience. So if you've got something in mind, Seyla, I'm going to ask you to be ready with the mic, and if you've got a question, you can kind of just indicate to Seyla now so she she knows where to go. But Ruth, I'm going to ask you, um, I'm going to turn the question a bit and ask you, what did leaving, um, what, did it, what did you gain? Um, you know, it cost you certainly a great deal when you were young and you went into the orphanage. You left, went back to your mother's house, then eventually you left care. So because I want, your, your story is so powerful and it's so strong, maybe you can just touch on what did you gain when you left? Well, I, I never come across such a question, but thank you so much. What, what did I gain? I gained education, um, which is one of the reasons I said, one of the push factors why I was leaving my grandmother's place. And the reason I say I gained education is because it's something that I would not have had access to if I remained in the village. And two, I gained a voice. I, I liked when you say I'm from Kenya Society of Care Leavers, which is a is a society is like an organization of youth like me who've been in the in care system and they've left they come back to the society when i say i gained a voice it means uh, my experience and all through what i went through gave me something very unique and that is why of course you sought me out to be here is that i have a voice to talk and make sure that people do not need to feel lost in their own country i know People say I left Kenya and I went to the US, or I left the US and I came here. But it is one thing to feel lost in another country and another thing to feel lost altogether in your own country. And not even feel lost physically of because you, you know, but getting lost from your own self. You know? I gained, I want to answer your question. I gained education, I gained a voice. And, but then uh, it leaves you with how about that which you lost, which is yourself, yeah. you know. Yeah. You separate from the real you because when you're locked in this room 
and people leave, you know, like if I, I decide to lock all of you up here for one week, two weeks, three weeks, then one day I open the door and ask you, could you walk out? Trust me, you all get stranded because you'll need Google Maps, you know, yeah. to find your way or wherever you want to go. So, yeah. I gained education, I gained a voice, and that is why I'm advocating for the rights of children. I'm so glad you are, Ruth. Thank you for your voice. Thank you. Can we just give her a round of applause? I'm so moved by that. Thank you, Ruth. So I know I've kept you a full, solid, I won't even say how long, because maybe some of you forgot how long you've been here. But if there are a few questions, I'd love to take just a few minutes and get any questions from the audience for our lovely panel here. So anyone have any questions? You're here, Sayla? This is my daughter, Sayla. Hi, Sayla. And that's my son, Silas. Hey, and that's my other son, Solomon. <laughs> okay, so um, from the different environments that you've been in, I just wanted to know how you've like evolved as a person. Who wants to take that? I can, let, me, let me put it this way. When I left Kenya in the 90s, that was, uh, Kenya was at the, at the time almost a police state. So you didn't have a voice. You couldn't even, everywhere you went, you just whispered because you never knew who you were standing next to. Then I left for the US and that's the time when I realized that everybody has rights. You can actually voice your opinion. That has made me a better person because now I can actually stand to a policeman and question him and say, why are you accusing me of certain things? Before I was tuned to basically look at a policeman like he's always right, no matter what. Now that I've gone out there and I've seen that these laws and rights of human beings, you can actually come and say, you know what? I cannot question you why you're doing certain things. And I think that's what has made me become a better person just leaving Kenya and seeing that life is different out there. People have rights, people have certain privileges which you are suppressed here in this country. And in the 90s was really bad. Now I'm seeing it's getting better where somebody can actually stand up and uh, question the president before we could not do that. And that's one of the things that uh, opened my mind just leaving Kenya and going out there and having a different uh, set of mindset. Thank you for that. That's fantastic. That, that idea of being empowered because you left. And it brings back your story, Maimuna, about your journalism and writing, and, and that can get us in trouble. Now this newfound freedom that we want to exercise, maybe in old context, bringing that home might have to look different, but that's a powerful idea to, to yeah, how you've evolved. Thank you. Yeah. Any other questions? Ms. Maimuna, um, you, uh, Ms. Piper mentioned that you speak a lot of languages. How do you think that being able to speak multiple languages helps with or c contradicts trying to like ingratiate yourself into new cultures and societies? Um, I don't speak that many languages. You made it sound okay. like I four. spoke. Okay, I, I only sp speak the ones I mentioned um, okay, which here. Was four. <laughs> four. Um, but I also okay. I grew up in a house of interpreters. You know, everyone in my family mm. <laughs> spoke so you don't those. Even speak that many. To <laughs> yes, my father speaks like eight languages. Um, 
It's really useful. It's really useful because I travel a lot. So, uh, you know, in generally the languages that I speak, uh, you know, spoken in many different countries. So if I'm traveling in Africa, so I always say I speak all the colonial languages in Africa and shamefully speak none of the actual, you know. <laughs> but it means I can travel around the continent and communicate in all of the 54 countries. Um, and then also traveling abroad and stuff. So, so that is great. However, as someone who speaks all these languages and has been in Kenya for eight years and I don't speak Swahili, and believe me, I've tried, I've done lessons. I had a teacher for a year. I don't know if it's my age that I suddenly, I'm not absorbing language anymore <laughs> or that I live in, a, you know, in such an Anglophone society. But I feel like I've lost a sense. You know, I feel like I'm partially deaf yeah, yeah. Um, because even if in this circle we all speak English, if you're walking on the street, it's yeah. important to speak the language yeah, yeah. and it's really a handicap and I've not given up. Next yeah, year I'm taking time off and by the end of... <laughs> Next year, I hope I will be able to speak it. But it's definitely opened doors. It's opened a lot of doors professionally because a lot of the time, particularly working on this continent, if you can speak French or Portuguese in particular, it's an advantage, particularly if you have the two because not, you know, a lot of people will speak French and English, but not necessarily French and Portuguese as well. So it's you know, been a real yeah. sort of door opener. It's, it's been useful. So I encourage people to teach their yeah, kids so <laughs> lots you, of languages. Exactly. All of you students, definitely those ones you're getting in the classroom, learn them, but then learn the local tongue, learn the mother tongue. Do not fight your parents when they try to make you go to class for your mother tongue. You'll be so glad you did one day. And um, when I was promoting this uh, podcast, I had asked some friends, you know, what's, what's uproot in Sheng, the local kind of colloquial Swahili? And boy, I had like five different, uh, you know, versions. yeah, versions offered. And I was really stuck. I was like, oh, Lord, have mercy. Why did I ask this question, you know? Um, because that's the power of language. Huh? Yeah. It can change in Nairobi from Matatu stop to Matatu stop, from one side of town to another. Mm. And it's what gives us so much of our identity, you know? So great question, Waiaki. Thanks for that. Sorry, there's another hand. I'm curious to, to sort of know how you dealt with uh, your kids. I worked with uh, third culture kids, and it was absolutely amazing to me when I, whenever I'd ask them where is home and even if they're very American or very whichever part of the world they're from, they'll say Uganda and I'm like, huh? You know, because you know, it was just, wherever the kid identifies as home is not obviously necessarily where they're from. So how do you, do you allow them to just connect with, with whichever location that you've been to? Because I know some people would want to really impose where they're originally from onto the child. You know, you're Kenyan and you'll always be Kenyan and you must eat Kenyan food. And this child is like, what are you talking about? So how do you, interesting, I mean, how do you deal with, the, with your children for those? Yeah. With so my make kids, it brief, um, huh? Like 20 seconds. Give us your 20 best. Okay. Your with best my kids living advice. in New York, here, and in London, um, they kind of like they still keep that whole New York thing because you just can't escape that. <laughs> um, and the kids that know here to know my kids know that. Um, but they do, like, they're very Londoners now. You know, especially my daughter. She even has a little accent. And I'm like, yo, where'd you get that from? <laughs> You're in Kenya for four years. You never picked up an accent. <laughs> so you just kind of let them do what they want to do and, you know, accept the culture any kind of way. Don't tr really try to force anything on other than they have to like the same sports teams that you do. <laughs> there's a line There's a line in a book by Patrick Neat that, Neat that says, it's not where you're from, it's where you're at. And I honestly do agree with that because depending on where I am, I feel differently. There are parts of me that are very London 
regardless of the fact that I never intend to live there again. I was there for 15 years. It's part of my identity. Yeah. And, you know, I remember uh, my dad saying to me a couple of years ago, oh, you sound so Kenyan, you know, and I, I didn't know it, but to his Gambian ear, I sounded Kenyan. And I just think identity is so fluid, yeah. um, and not just for children, but for adults as well. It's yeah. a fluid, changing, ever, you know, everlasting process of discovery. Yeah. And I think we have to let our kids be who they are. They're figuring it out. And I think as adults, for me, I felt very compelled to come back to Ethiopia. Um, and then after four years of, in Ethiopia, I was like, this is very hard living here. So I left. I was like, let me go next door to Kenya. And so I feel like, but my brother and sister have different feelings about Ethiopia and feelings about whether or not they have to come back. So I think our kids will also kind of define it for themselves, you know? Thanks for those answers. I think we have two quick questions. Uh, thank you all for your great comments. I, my question is actually, as a result of your uprooting, I'm wondering if there are things that you now look back on your home cultures, whatever you consider as home, as beautiful, that those things that you appreciate now because you have been away, mm. are there things that you can speak to in that regard? That's such a great question. Yeah. I wish I'd asked that. <laughs> That's a great yeah. question. Yeah. I'll be very brief. For me, I mean, when I go back to Spain, just the sense of family, the sense of community living. And perhaps, you know, my family is very lucky in Spain that they're all very close and they live close to each other. But the very long meals that last five hours <laughs> and everybody being in your business, you know, after two weeks I've had enough, but I really miss it and I really love it. And I realize that it's not all cultures that are like that. There's something very particular about Spanish culture that is about community living and community yeah, existence and the long meals and the conversations and all of that. I miss that and I really appreciate it when I go back. Yeah. yeah. When I came here, I realized that um, it's not a big difference in between Kenyans and people from Philadelphia, people from North Carolina, you know, uh, especially in, in black culture. Um, and I see where we actually get, even though we didn't come from, yeah. you know, the East, but still, across this continent, there's a lot of similar. You might have come from the East, Troy. Yeah, yeah. Look at you. You might, you might have. But it's, you're, it reminds me of what Maya Angelou says, um, that we are more alike than we are unalike. Oh, most definitely. Yes. Which, yeah, resonates, I think, with this topic. I, 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 when I go to people's homes, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I feel like I'm in my grandmother's home. Yeah. You yeah. know, like, yeah. this is... We do the same thing. Yeah, yeah. But know. I think that's also part of how you engage. Right. You're coming at it like this is gonna be A plus. Right. You know, you come in there with A plus, you'll feel like you're at grandma. So right. I think that's I'm gonna take that right. away from this podcast that I need to enter places well, with you. an A plus attitude. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And also my kids, A plus attitudes, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I first moved away from home, someone told me that once you've put down roots in a new place, you'll never truly feel like your heart is ever in one place again. You'll always feel split. And I just wondered whether any of you ever felt any envy or regret for leaving, or whether the, the things that have enriched your life have always outweighed that splitting your heart in two. Hmm. So maybe Johnson and Ruth can take that. What I can say is that uh, it depends on how you look at things. There are some people, and speaking about Kenyans who have moved to the US, there are some who struggle, like my younger brother, he struggled adjusting to life in the US. He still felt like he needs that Kenyan feel in the US, and it never works. You have to accept and say, I'm in a new country, I'm gonna learn 
what these people do. If it's food, if it's a culture, if it's a language, you have to accept and say, this is what I'm gonna take in. You have to, I'm not saying you forget about where you're, where you're coming from, but you have to accept also where you're going to. And that is the struggle that we find, especially people who are migrating to new countries, is that you still wanna have that ugali before you go to bed, <laughs> right? You find that you can't get that flour to cook that ugali. Now you have to sleep with rice in your stomach. Yeah. Some people will struggle with that. My brothers did struggle with it, and he actually came back to Kenya. Yeah. Then he realized that, okay, things are not working out also in Kenya. He, came, he went back, and this time when he went back, his mental state was already set. A plus. A plus. Yeah. Now he accepted the life there, mm. and uh, now he's settled. He's been there for now almost uh, 15 years. Yeah. So you have to make that choice and say, am I going to adopt a new country or am I going to live in the new country but my mind is still on the old country? So that's something that you have to make decision mm. about yeah. if you're going to move. So Ruth, you grew up in a predominantly in the Kukuyu area, and you're not Kukuyu, but is there, is there anything you took from that that has stayed with you? <coughs> that I took from? From the Kukuyu culture that you feel like, you know, this has become now part of who I am, even if it's not, you know. Um, well, not really, not okay, yet, not but yet. Um, what I can say, I, I want to just say, when she said, do I regret? I don't regret moving, but I regret the reasons why I moved. I regret that lack of food was a reason for me to yeah. get placed in an orphanage. I regret that my mom not being there was a reason enough. So I yeah. feel that something should have been done. Yeah. And probably the, the reason why I regret about all these reasons is because it's not something I chose to. You know, It's yeah. not something I sat down and reasoned with someone yeah. and decided, look, we need yeah. to move to this place. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, and that's a very that's so many people's story. They had no choice, they had no agency in being uprooted from A to B, and so that just I find this this conversation circling back and back and back, which is this also this other quote of you know be kind for you never know what struggle people are fighting, and and I struggle with that, you know, um, but what you said is so true. There are people walking around all around us who didn't have any agency, and why they are next to you at the cafe, on the plane, in the line at the grocery store, and so that common decency can go a long way towards, yeah, I don't know, welcoming others. Thanks for that. Honesty, Ruth. Okay, our last question. Thank you, everyone. Uh, this question is sort of for you, Johnson, but I guess, I guess anyone could answer it. Um, specifically, you were speaking about how you didn't really see difference growing up, at least in a racialized way, and then when you went to the United States, you were aware, made aware um, of sort of like a, a racial conception of identity. So my question to you was when you came back to Kenya, having been made aware or exposed to a, a different conception of identity, did that either push you towards solidarity or, or make you see sort of internal discrimination within Kenya um, in a way that you maybe hadn't before? Were you right, part of the problem or the solution, Johnson? <laughs> <laughs> when Come you came back. We know Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> It's a bit confusing um, because now that I've come back to Kenya is that I know my place in the society, but now what I have to deal with that I didn't have before was that being labeled before I left Kenya was never an issue. If I went to a supermarket and uh, the guy basically looked at me and said, are you the driver? I would not even question him. Now when I get that question, it bothers me because I know 
that's not my place and it's not his place to ask me that question. And it's a bit conflicting because I've come back a different person from what from the person that I left. And now it bothers me more, especially when I get to be labeled something that I'm not. Something that you get maybe in America where you'll be walking down the street and somebody will ask you, where are you going? And you're in your neighborhood. So coming back and having the same question, it bothers me now. But I have to be polite and subtle and say, you know what? I'm not gonna lo you know, bend law and, uh, you know, and argue with the person. I just accept it and move on. You know, we have fun with uh, Ben Piper about these questions when people come and uh, basically look at you and say, hey, you driver, park your car. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I've learned to accept it, that this is what it is in Kenya. But it, does it bother me internally? Of course. But that's the price that I, have to, I had to pay for being out there and being educated and knowing my rights, knowing who I am, and coming back and accepting now this situation where it is. Something that a few years ago I would not even argue with anybody. Mm. If the security guard told me, you stay there and don't do anything, I would have just done it politely without knowing because I didn't know that I had the right to question him that why can't I go in like everybody else. So now it does bother me, but I choose not to fight those fights. I don't know if I've answered you. I think it's maybe the next podcast should be should you go or should you leave? Because like you said, it comes with a cost. It comes with maybe in a burden that you didn't expect to be carrying. Well, my name is Lily, and I have the pleasure of hosting Uproot, and I want to thank all of you for being here tonight. I want to especially thank our host, Waston Sprout. You guys have been exceptional, and you give a place for so many new ideas in Nairobi. So thank you for being a place where we could all gather tonight. I want to thank my family. Uh, my daughter, Sayla, actually wrote the jingle that you'll hear on podcast when it launches on Saturday. Thank you, darling. Thank you, Solomon and Silas, for manning the door, selling all the merchandise that everyone's going to buy when they leave. Thank you, Sauron, who's at home unwell tonight. But thank you, baby girl. And Ben, thank you, baby. I'll pay you later. Um, and listen, Uproot is going to launch on Saturday, on December 15th. You can find it on Stitcher and iTunes, TuneIn, SoundCloud. So please share the podcast with your networks. I mean, if you like it. If you don't like it, pretend like you do and share it anyways. Um, I would love to hear from you. Um, you can go to lilybekellapiper.com or uprootthepodcast.com on Saturday. Not yet. If you go today, you're going to see an under construction page. But on Saturday, you can go there, leave me a comment, a question. I'd love some ideas for future podcasts. Um, and lastly, remember, you have to keep at it until it becomes rooted. I'm Lily. Peace. Yeah.